distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Josh. I live in northeast Pennsylvania. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as a daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system such as Windows or Mac OS. Well, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. And I'm more of a Linux gamer and sysadmin ninja. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 35, recorded on August 17th, 2022. For this show, we are reviewing Spiral Linux and Makulu Linux Shift 2207. Josh couldn't be with us this episode due to work issues, but Tony and I are back from COVID issues, and Dale has returned from multiple cross-country traverses. Monthly foibles were, and we discuss what we did this month. I had a short bout with COVID-19, but seemed to be over it. I'm still having some stomach trouble, but I think that's related more to problems with blood pressure meds, although I could be wrong about that. I got two new UPSs and a new keyboard. The UPS story is too long to go into here. The old keyboard, a fellow's microband which has served me for years, has a sticking key. I would have to take it completely apart to fix it, and I didn't want to be without a keyboard. So I bought a new Perex Paraboard, which looks exactly like the Fellows Microband Natural Keyboard, but it just isn't. There's just everything about this keyboard feels cheap, although it looks just perfect. I've been fiddling around with a few distros, but haven't settled on something for next month. Daniel Richter has created a new PPA for Ubuntu 22.04 for Grub Customizer, so my many complaints on that issue are now dropped. What about you, Tony? On a good note, like uh, Moss said, I'm over COVID, which I'm very pleased with, as everyone can imagine. Although I've been having some other health issues, which I'm currently undergoing tests for and awaiting hospital follow-ups. Hopefully nothing too serious. On a sad note, I found out that a friend of mine and the Linux community, Ollie Clark, passed away with COVID at the end of last year. But as his family had been unaware of his wider network of friends, we only heard about this a few weeks ago. Ollie had been part of the Full Circle podcast with myself, Les Pounder, and John Chamberlain when uh, the previous hosts had given it up. And we were all members of Blackpool Lug at the time here in the UK. So uh, got some very fond memories of working with Ollie. We were also known as the Screaming Penguins because we used to attend Linux events here in the Northwest and would go to do install fests of Ubuntu and Linux Mint, and also demonstrate hardware, including the Raspberry Pi running Linux. Last Saturday, 10 of us got together, uh, all Ollie's friends, including the Full Circle podcast team, 
because John Chamberlain was over for a brief uh, stay in the UK. He now lives in New Zealand. And we met up for a meal to celebrate Ollie's life and friendship and, uh, you know, talk over some very good times at such events. Ollie was a true friend and a great person, and we'll miss him uh, greatly. So RIP, my good friend. So the only Linux stuff I've done, uh, I'll talk about it in the updates and uh, in my failures section. So over to you, Dale. Everything in my new apartment is put away, at least out of sight, out of mind. I will do some more organizing later. Next on the list is to decide how and where to mount and connect my modem, router, and switch. They've been sitting on a wooden chair since I connected them. I've already decided to mount my access point to the ceiling outside my computer room. I think some industrial strength Velcro will do the job. I have an idea where I want to put the modem, router, and switch. It's just a matter of routing the cables along the wall in the living room and through the doorway into my computer room. I have some RG6 and a spool of Cat5e so I can make my own custom length cables as I had where I previously lived. That makes for a very organized and clean installation. In an attempt to save some money on my mobile bill, my cable provider Spectrum, through an agreement with uh, Verizon Wireless, it's a major uh, cellular carrier here in the States, started offering mobile plans. I thought I covered all the requirements for life on the road, except I didn't. I was told that I would have 30 gigabytes per month with a hotspot included in my plan, and a hotspot is a feature with Android that you can provide Wi-Fi to other devices using your phone as an access point. For some reason, my Verizon phone wouldn't work on their network despite its Verizon's network, go figure. It was a Motorola One 5G UW, so I bought a Motorola G Stylus 5G 2022. At least this phone has a descriptive model name instead of random letters and numbers like many of them do. I watched many reviews for the phones that were in the price range that I was willing to spend. I actually like it a little bit better than my one... G-U-W, some slight differences. I think it's like a half inch bigger, other nonsense. So what basically happened is I found out that I had only five gigabytes out of the 30 gigabytes for use for hotspot. That lasted about six days before I got a notification that I had used 80% of it. I checked on Verizon's website to see if my new phone is compatible And it is, so it wasn't a total waste of money, just an expensive one. So it's back to overpriced Verizon I go. I don't want to buy yet another phone with a different provider. I'm just going to go with what works. This made my distro evaluation and my entertainment less convenient. I watched YouTube on the 6.2 inch screen of my phone and used free Wi-Fi when available. I did pay $6 for 24 hours of Wi-Fi once, and it was fast enough to update my devices and to use Google Docs to type this uh, script here. So, moving on to the updates. Updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. Well, Mint 21 is out. I have installed it fresh on my TV box and did the upgrade for my other machines. Seems to work fine, although Bitwarden scared me by being down for maintenance when I tried to log in to the Bitwarden plugin in Firefox. 
My first installation failed to load the live desktop, so I got another copy from another mirror, put it on my Ventoy stick, and everything was fine. All our machines have been upgraded, except, of course, the TV box got a fresh install, and I did have a few kinks in the system, different for each machine, but it's all fixable and fixed, and Mint is a breeze. Tony? Yes, so Mint 21 dropped, as Moss has said, uh, and I installed it onto one of my laptops, the little Toshiba Z30, which, as usual, was a total breeze. However, due to hardware issues on that uh, laptop, which is totally unrelated to Mint, I've not had a chance to play with it much. I'm going to talk about my attempts to do the inline upgrade in a moment. So, Dale, what about you? Well, since I haven't done any of my updates due to my uh, moving and other chaos in my life up until now, the uh, little bit of catching up to do here, so let's get going. The Debian project celebrated its 29th anniversary. The first version of Debian was 0.01. It was released on September 15th of 1993. And its first stable version of 1.1 was released on June 17, 1996. It continues to be one of my favorite Linux distros. Ubuntu Bungie 22.0.4.1, the LTS, was released. These are a collection of updates since the 2204 release. Some notable updates are more translations for the Bungie welcome updates, including a lot more translations. Various bug fixes to the uh, core uh, Budgie desktop, along with various bug fixes for the Budgie applets, known as Budgie Extras. A fix to GNOME software allowing uninstalling of packages. GhostBSD released 22.06.18, which is a fix to their 22.06.18 release that addressed two bugs. Installation error device, busy number 203 and cannot install on Dell PC using Legacy BIOS or UEFI, it's number 204. The updates for the 22.6.18 are too numerous, so if you are interested, you could read more at www.ghostbsd.org forward slash news. If you are curious about the BSD operating system, GhostBSD is a good choice coming from Linux. It uses the Mate desktop and is easily installed using Calamaris. And I forgot to put in the episode that I reviewed it on, but if you scroll through our past episodes, I did a review for GhostBSD. We can put this in post. Zero Linux announced that they will switch to a quarterly release cycle and will be focusing on stability and fixes. And lastly, Voyager updated the Ubuntu base ISO to 22.04.1 and named the Explorer Edition which includes both GNOME 42 and XFCE 4.16 in a single distribution, which is kind of old school. If you go back far enough, that's pretty much how you got everything. You either got nothing or you got all the desktops. So, moving on to beautiful failures. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. Things either didn't install at all or installed perfectly this month, so no complaints. Tony? So, uh, as I said earlier on, you know, Mint 21 dropped and they also provided an inline upgrade path 
So I tried the inline upgrade path on both the, my desktop, which I'm currently using, which is a Juno computer that I bought last year, and one of my Dell laptops. And I was quite frustrated on both of them. I, I did the time shift. When the upgrade path GUI comes up, you have to do it through the terminal and it brings up a, a GUI. And the first thing it asks you to do is a time shift. So uh, I did that. And then the next thing was it found some packages that it wasn't very happy with. But it said I could um, disregard these packages so that they wouldn't be removed in a list in preferences. So I went to this list in preferences, but it's not populated. So it means you've got to manually import every single package. And when that's, you know in the tens if not in the hundreds of packages that would just take forever there needs to be some way that they can populate this uh, thing with what it's found that it doesn't like giving you the option uh, of a a little uh, square that you can tick box basically you can select it if you want to keep the package so i wasn't able to proceed any further because it didn't like those packages and it wouldn't give me the option to move forward So on both these machines, I'm going to have to, at some stage, do a manual update, you know, using uh, the new ISO. On the laptop, that's not a major issue because I can just nuke and pave that because it doesn't have an awful lot of data on and what data I do need to save will take me about 10 minutes to back up. But with the uh, Juno computer, it's a little bit more complex. Obviously, that's my main machine, so I need to make, make sure I back up my home folder and uh, in particularly my uh, email client because I use Thunderbird so I'll need to back it up make sure I've got all my latest emails and then I can do the update and then once I've done that I'll need to reinstall the Juno drivers to make sure the graphics and all that are working but uh, yeah it's a bit of a pain but uh, yeah the upgrade path didn't work for me and you're the only person I've heard of that didn't have that had this problem with the upgrade. Like I said, I I did it on four machines over here. Yeah, partly it's me because I didn't want to have to go and uh, manually enter all those every single package that it was picking up that it didn't like to put it into that disregard field. Couldn't find a way of uh, selecting the whole lot of packages, copying them and pasting them into the field because it wouldn't let me do that. You had to select them one at a time. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't a a positive experience. Maybe the developers could uh, find some way of uh, creating a script that picks up the packages it finds and depositing them into that uh, area that you can then use that to select the packages you want to keep and and carry on. Right. Well, I I couldn't even find out how to open the preferences to paste those (laughs) things in, so I just bowled on through, and there were only a couple packages I had to reinstall. So, Well, I couldn't find any way to bowl on through because it wouldn't let me because those packages were still there. (laughs) So there was no way to bowl on through. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a (laughs) a bit of a shame. So anyway, Dale, have you got anything? No, I didn't uh, have any time. The only fear I've had in life was my uh, cell phone company selection. (laughs) Okay. I'm still annoyed by that. (laughs) Yeah, I would be too. Well, let's move on to Dale's review of Spiral Linux.
Spiral Linux is a customized Debian-stable distribution currently at version 11 Bullseye. It is maintained by the same person who created Gecko Linux, a customized OpenSUSE, Leap, and Tumbleweed distro. It is built using Debian-stable packages and uses the backports to enable newer hardware support. In Debian, backports are updated packages and kernels from the testing branch. The packages are recompiled to support the libraries that are in use in Stable. Since Spiral is a uh, distro built on the Stable release, it is fully upgradable to future Stable releases, including upgrading to the testing and the SID unstable releases. Spiral has the following additions. Cinnamon, XFCE, Gnome, Plasma, Mate, Budgie, LXQT, and Builder. Builder is an unthemed base consisting of a bare IceWM window manager, a web browser, a GUI text editor, and a few GUI configuration tools using the Calamaris installer. Here are a few changes made to the Debian stable base. BetterFS by default, with a custom subvolume layout using Z standard compression and snapshots using Snapper. Bootable snapshots are available in the Grub menu. Flat packs are enabled by default using the GNOME software app. TLP is installed for optimizing power management on laptops. Uses ZRAM swap by default for better performance on lower end hardware. Font rendering and color theming pre-configured. The aim of Spiral is to allow users to operate and administer the installation without the need to use the terminal. Sparrow uses Debian repositories to be 100% dependent on the Debian project for updates. The name Spiral was inspired by the Debian Swirl logo. My hardware. The laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460 and is an Intel dual core i5 6200U 2.8 GHz CPU. 14 inch display using Intel HD Graphics 520, 16 GB of RAM, and a 500GB Samsung 860 EVO SSD. Installation ease and issues. I decided to install the Cinnamon Edition. This is mostly because other than my LMDE5 review, I haven't used Cinnamon much in my reviews. The other reason is Cinnamon is the most recent other than XFC compared to the others in the current stable repository. Once testing releases Debian 12 to stable, all the desktops will be recent versions. Unfortunately, Spiral uses SourceForge to host their ISO files. It took five tries to download the ISO, failing at varying completion percentages. Because of this, I definitely wanted to compare the checksums on the file. The ones provided were MD5. Surprisingly, the file was okay, so I wrote it to the USB stick using Popsicle again. It is odd that I tend not to use DD as much as I used to. The grip screen appeared with a nice, somewhat cloudy green image of water sprayed into glass. I think it's a look that Moss would like. The choices were Live System and Safe Mode with Kernel 5.10 and Backported 5.18 kernel along with utilities in the UEFI firmware settings. Spyro uses the Calamaris installers. It was a very minimal one. It only asked about location, keyboard, language, partition, user, and lastly the summary of choices. I chose the replace option to install over the previous 
is Ubuntu 22.04 that I had on there. Once completed, I was prompted to remove the USB stick and press enter. I think this is a really nice option because some computers will not boot if there's a USB stick connected, which would result in you looping back into the uh, the installation again, or, in, or into the live session, depending on how, how that stick is uh, configured. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Didn't have any hardware issues. Ease of use. The same green image shown on the grub menu is also used as wallpaper. I saw an icon on the desktop labeled language support. I clicked on it and it showed options to set system languages and install language packs. I was prompted for my password. After scrolling through the list, I noticed that English was already installed. So I guess this is a good uh, thing to have if English is not your uh, preferred language. Cinnamon is using 4.8.6, and the kernel is 5.18, backported from the Debian testing uh, branch, as Stable is still on 5.10. Firefox is the ESR, which is the extended support release. It is at version 91.12, with a uh, version 103 available via Flatpak. LibreOffice is 7.0.4.2, with version 7.3.5.2 available in Flatpak, so not too old, fairly current. Of course, Flatpak is going to be the most current in most cases. I thought these were some interesting choices of the versions, especially the choice of Firefox ESR instead of the regular Firefox. I stayed with Firefox ESR because I had already signed in and configured it before I realized that ESR was not the... Uh, regular release because they they look very similar you have to look pretty closely to see the differences if you do it side by side the maintainer apparently chose the dev packages over the flatpak newer versions so speaking of flatpak they are enabled with flathub and gnome software add-on installed by default this allows for searching installation and removal of flatpaks from the gnome software app i also noticed that they do have synaptic installed if you prefer that, though you're not going to get Flatpak support out of it. When I had updates to install, I used the GUI updater to see how it did. After downloading, it showed a button to reboot and install, so I rebooted and had an animation similar to Windows showing the progress. Once completed, I rebooted it again and I was able to log in. The update notifications function like they normally do with GNOME software. I did notice some odd errors that popped up while using GNOME software, but they didn't affect the use of it. I did need to disable the window tiling because it annoys me. I tried to move a window to the top of the screen and it maximizes. I like to control the size and placement of my windows. I don't know, it's just I'm moving and all of a sudden pop. Then I have to remember how to because I not instinctually know that the, you have to drag it down to make it collapse again. I, then I have to go over and click the uh, restore size. It's just so aggravating. The only thing that I uh, changed otherwise was the screen timeout and the, uh, the screen lock. I just turned the screen lock off because it's a review thing, and I don't care if anybody gets into it, even if they did know my password. And when I'm trying to look at something, I look away and I come back and it's locked and I have to type in the password again. It's just kind of redundant for me in that use case. Otherwise, everything else was left at the uh, defaults. I even kept the default wallpaper. I think it would be a nice addition to Linux Mint's uh, wallpaper selection. 
One thing I forgot to add in here is they do have a GUI for Snapper. Snapper is part of uh, ButterFS that will make uh, snapshots like you would have on Linux Mint or um, on uh, OpenSUSE, where when you install something or you get an update, it will actually make an image or like a backup of your system so that you can roll back to it in case that goes a little pear-shaped. I think the user experience is quite nice, even without the tweaks that Linux Mint does with Cinnamon with their additional packages. Memory and disk use. 12 gigs of space was used on the SSD, though it did climb up to approximately 18 with the BTRF snapshots. But one thing when you're using ButterFS is disk space gets a little hinky <laughs> in, in the reporting because the GNU toolkit that is installed on all the distributions is not compatible with BTRF, which kind of blows my mind considering that BTRFS itself is open source. But I digress. 795 megabytes of memory was used, reported by the free-hm command. The ease of finding help. Needless to say, I didn't need to seek any help. I've been using Debian since 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. With that said, this is Debian with 29 years of history. Finding support in the Debian forums or the videos, Linux forums are among your numerous options. I mean, a lot of people in the uh, community, love it or hate it, know about Debian. Plays nice with others. With the Calamaris installer, multi-booting is easy peasy, as us uh, Americans would say. Stability. This is Debian stable. That's all you need to know. Similar distros to check out. Debian Stable, which is currently at Bullseye, Linux Mint Debian Edition, Linux Mint Cinnamon, and MX Linux. And for the ratings, ease of installation, new user, it's 10, experienced user, 10. I mean, Calamaris, this was actually the shortest and easiest Calamaris. You literally just click, 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 <laughs> except for typing in your username. I went through it and thought I missed screens and went back and saw that I didn't. Hardware issues. It's a 10 out of 10. The ease of finding help. I'm just going to give it a 10 because you, you've got so many places to find help. Ease of use. 9 out of 10. It's still Debian under the hood. So if you do venture outside the GUI, you're going to be in the command line. Plays nice with others. 10 out of 10. Instability is 10. So overall rating, I'm going to give it 10. Stay in the GUI. You're going to be good. My, uh, my final comments. I didn't know what to expect from this, you know, trying Spyro Linux. I must say I was pleasantly surprised. It was well-themed and reached its goal of not requiring the terminal. Even though Debian does use the Calamaris installer in the official live ISO, what you are missing is the refinements that Spyro provides. Sure, you could do all this since it is available in the uh, Debian repositories, though this requires time, skill, and also the desire to do so. I think this is one of the best out-of-the-box Debian experiences I've seen in recent years. I would say it is in the running against MX Linux and possibly LMDE. I'm going to keep this on my laptop and try upgrading it to Debian testing, and I will report my success or failure next episode. 
So on to uh, Moss with his review of Makulu Linux Shift 2207. Thank you, Dale. Uh, as Dale said, I'm reviewing Makulu Linux Shift 2207. This Ubuntu-based distro has some features similar to Zorin OS, but handles them rather more intriguingly. It offers you a choice of eight different desktops with only a couple of mouse clicks, and eight more if you want to go pro. I looked at a different Makulu spin in the past, but thought I'd give this a shot. The dev is Jacques Raymer, originally from South Africa, but as of my latest information, currently employed in Vietnam. My hardware I installed on SDA2 of my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P with a 6th Gen i7-4700MQ at 2.4GHz, Intel and NVIDIA GeForce GT730M graphics, with 16 gigs of DDR3 RAM. SDA2 is half of a 256GB Samsung SSD. Installation ease and issues. The installer looks like Ubuntu, but some things look like Calamaras. I think it's a themed Calamaras. It gave me no problems installing on SDA2. Unlike most Ubuntu-based distros, when you finish installing and go to reboot, it does not prompt you to remove the USB stick, but it still boots without a hitch, with or without it, ignoring the stick totally as it should. The completed installation boots kernel 5.15 with Xorg, although I can't find which of my graphics cards is used by default. I assume it is using Intel. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. It opens with a faux wood grain hippo, and a bunch of tildes in two rows running opposite directions, then presents a nice slideshow of what the distro offers and how to make best use of it. After you've seen the slideshow, and you can click it to not open on future opens, it opens on a nicely laid out starter screen with eight boxes inside the main box, and the first box suggests you look for drivers. I did, and it easily installed the NVIDIA 470 driver and prompted me to log out. When the starter screen opened again, I went to the second box, which is set firewall. Again, easy peasy. I don't know where this peasy gets off doing this all the time, but we seem to both be using it. Then you run updates from the third box, unless, like me, you first check to see what is in installed that you may not want to update. But there is little to no bloat here program-wise. No office, no GIMP, nada. You will probably skip the other boxes unless they appeal to you. You click that to not show up next time, and then reboot. While they missed the bloat on programs, there are eight complete desktops included, and, except for Plasma, which appears to be an emulation using Cinnamon, they are not emulations, but full desktops you can switch to with a few mouse clicks. If you pay for the Pro version, that increases to 16. The wallpaper changes, the icons change, the theming, everything changes. Many of the desktops are not named by what they're based on, so I'm not sure what desktop it is, but the one I selected is called Simple on the Desktop Manager. Other options on the free version are Lindos, Flash, Core, Dash, Unity, Gnome, and Plasma. Again, it's a pseudo-plasma. Sending a few dollars to the dev will get you eight more called Docky, Panel, Runner, Remy, Pop, Eleven, Flipped, and Roller. Upgrade is a $30 one-time charge, which also gets to the pro version of Makulu Linux GameR Edition. The availability of various desktops appear to be the cause of most of the disk space and some of the RAM usage. I changed my desktop wallpaper, except then it started cycling through all the wallpapers. You have to go to Wallpaper Preferences, one of four or five buttons you get when you right-click on the desktop, to make it keep a single wallpaper, 
Easy enough to find when you look for it. There really are a lot of nice wallpapers here. Grub Customizer is pre-installed. Ubuntu Restricted Extras also pre-installed. Most of the things I usually have to add are already here. The browser is real Google Chrome, so I got rid of that and installed Firefox. Synaptic is included, and I did not check the actual package manager. LeafPad is the text editor, which I'm used to from Bodhi. Discord is included, although it needed updating. Touchpad is easy to turn off in the mouse and touchpad settings box. There's a bit too much Compton in the simple desktop. I need to find a way to decrease the transparency, as the boxes are dark but not solid enough. I know a lot of people who like this, but I like seeing what's on my menu without something behind it making it unreadable. Fractional scaling is available in all resolutions and on all desktops. The default cursor easily changes large and different from most, and I find it quite nice. It looks sort of like a spear tip. You will not lose track of your mouse cursor with this baby. The X to close any box is virtually invisible until you hover over it in the top right corner of the box, and then it shows up quite large and hard to miss. It takes maybe 7 to 10 seconds to load each desktop, but that gives you a complete new desktop with different icons, themes, wallpapers, and layout. Unlike some other distros which try this, it keeps all your added icons intact. For instance, the text file I started to report on these issues was saved on my desktop, and it was there no matter which desktop I used. That has not always been the case. Is that a problem with GNOME? I didn't try it, so I don't know. It also does not close open files to change desktops, so this file stayed open as I shifted. The one oddity was that when the desktop is done changing, your mouse cursor automatically jumps to the bottom right of the selector box, and you need to move it back up to the top right to close the box. Security-wise, once you are logged in, you may never need to give it your password. The system just assumes you are in the right place a lot. I had a chat with Mr. Raymer about that when I reviewed Makulu Windows several months ago, and he seemed to think I was crazy for thinking any more security was needed. The workspace switcher is just a small box in your taskbar with a number in it, indicating which workspace you're in. Click on it, and it brings up the menu to select a different workspace. Rather than setting the number of workspaces, it always gives you one more than you currently have open, so you always have a blank workspace to move to. I assume it renumbers the workspaces when you close out of one. To add a program to your taskbar, you select it in the menu, right-click, and say Add to Favorites, much the same as Zorin OS. This will give you a different result than what you usually do in Plasma. Ease of use. I felt instantly at home. During installation, it runs you through a short slideshow to tell you what to expect, and you get exactly that. If anything, it may be a bit too easy to use, as you're almost never prompted for a password the dev thinks you don't need any. I tend to harp over that quite a bit, because I'm used to at least having to enter a password to do updates, and you just don't need to on this. Memory and disk use. Conky reports 829 megabytes of RAM and 13.9 gigabytes of disk space. Conky takes several seconds to load at boot, so it's almost a surprise if you weren't expecting it. It's very nicely themed, though. While the ISO I downloaded was dated July 2022, Conky reports the version date as October 2021. Ease of finding help. I have chatted with the dev in the past. Maybe I triggered him wrong, but he wasn't as patient with me as I needed him to be, but that was over a year ago. There are forums and social media groups if you need more help. It is just Ubuntu 22.04. You can find help anywhere. Plays nice with others. As I said, this distro even comes with Grub Customizer installed. 
You can include any grub-based distro and it will play well. Stability. I haven't noticed a problem and it should be every bit as stable as any other distro based on Ubuntu 20.04. Similar distros to check out. Zorin. Ubuntu Pick a Flavor. Uh, Farron OS. My ratings. Ease of installation. New user 10 out of 10. I would have said 9, but doesn't have the same issues that Dale set up above, so I figured I'd upgrade it. Experienced user, 10 out of 10. Calamaris is just a breeze. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help on the community and web, 8 out of 10. Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. And my overall rating, 10 out of 10. I think this is our first episode that we had two 10s. Final comments. I expected to have a few issues with this, but I just didn't. It is smooth, fast, beautiful, and more customizable more easily than any distro I've ever used. The only reason not to switch this as your main distro would be if you're really happy with what you're using, or maybe you don't trust single dev distros. But Jacques has been doing it for a while. DistroWatch dates it back to 2014. I could think of another reason not to use it, and that's the security concerns if it doesn't prompt you for a password every, you know, at certain points. If you're a new user, you might not even notice that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But if you if you're security paranoid, then maybe uh, that could be an issue. Yeah, this is probably not your distro. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't mind if you if you sign in. And you do updates and it caches your password because that is an option in GK sudo where there's a timeout you can set in the configuration. But to type it in and then never ask for it again, that's bad. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to new releases. New releases this month from July 13th to August 16th. Kodachi 8.24, T2 SDK 22.6, Rocky 9.0, PC Linux OS 2022.07.10, Gparthead 1.4.0-5, Artix 2022.0713, Garuda 22.0717, EasyOS 4.2.7, LiveRazo 13.22.07.17, Alpine 3.16.1, Archcraft 2022.07.18, Cubes 4.1.1, Q4OS 4.9, Newtix 22.07.0, OpenMandriva 5.0-TP, Tails 5.3, SysLinux OS 2022-07-26, Snal 1.20, Absolute 2022.0724, OpenSense 22.7, OVOS 2022.0729, EasyOS 4.3, 4M Linux 40.0, Mint 21, Q4OS 4.10, Mubuntu's DE 4-1.02, Tails 5.3.1, Bicom 6.6.0 PBXWare, Peppermint 08-02-2022, Slacks 15.0.0, Hyperbola 0.4.1, NetBSD 9.3, RoboLinux 12.07, Arch 2022.08.05, System Rescue 9.04, RescueZilla 2.4, Garuda 220808, Alpine 3.16.2, 
Kali 2022.3, Endeavor OS 22.7, UnoHost 11.0.9, TrueNAS 22.02.3 Scale, All Ubuntu Flavors 22.04.1, KDE Neon 2022.0811, SmartOS 2022.0811, Open Mamba 2022.0812, Sparky Linux 6.4, X6 22.8, Voyager 22.04.1.1, and Blue Star 5.19.1. Let's do a bit of feedback. So, feedback. I'd just like to say thank you to Londoner for pointing out that our uh, RSS feed wasn't working. Uh, it turned out to be a problem with FeedBurner having changed their HTTP to HTTPS, but not informing users. So I went into uh, the settings on Blogger and managed to change the necessary settings. So everything should be back to normal, but... uh, Except archive.org isn't seeing any downloads. At the moment. So we'll just have to wait and see whether that uh, uptick happens. But yeah, it is actually feeding to podcatchers at the moment, so it should be okay. And thank you, Londoner. Announcements. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group or our Discord channel. Josh can be found at at joshontech on most social networks or email him at joshontech at gmail.com. Also, you can find him on the Crowbar Kernel Panic podcast. Dale? I'm at Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord, and my email is Dale underscore CDL at pm.me. Tony? Yes, you can contact me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. I've also got a Hacker Public Radio uh, host ID of 338, and I'm on Twitter at TonyH1212. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me, and my social media info can be found in the show notes. Or you can find it, as well as me, Dale and Dylan, at itsmoss.com. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Midair Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits. And all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source slash Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. (laughs) 